Welcome back. This is the Liberty on Fire podcast. I'm your host, Libertarian Tony, and I'm going to be joined by Conservative Joey. So happy that you're here joining us. If this is your first time, then thank you for being here. If, on the other hand, you are a dedicated and regular listener, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate that you come and listen to each and every show. Hey, Joey, thanks for coming back on the Liberty on Fire podcast. Yeah, no problem. I had to take some uh, Red Bulls and some energy drinks, and now I'm past my, up past my bedtime just for you. See, well, it's not for us. It's not for me. It's for our, our thousands of listeners. Thousands, hundreds of thousands. Yeah, by now, at least. I think there's about 100,000. But yep, I'm back. Good. Thank you for coming back on. I, I appreciate it, and so do our listeners. Um, so I think that they're expecting a lot of us this week, and they, um, you know, they they wrote in and called me day and night, and they're like, "Please, please give us your analysis of the uh, Democratic deba- uh, debates, round two. Yeah, I have a hard time even watching these debates. Do you like? Do you enjoy watching them? I can't stand even turning them on. Listen. It's kind of like, I guess, entertainment, but it's really cringy listening to what they're saying now. I don't think it's biased. Like, I know I'm like more on the right, of course, or Republican or whatever, but I just think even if I was 16 years old and had no idea what left or right was, I'd be listening to them and, and thinking they're just, they just sound crazy. It just seems like common sense that a lot of the stuff they're saying sounds crazy to me. Yeah, I think it, it probably helps to watch if you've, Got a lot of alcohol on board already. Um, that might be one of the only way to get through them. Um, I mean, some of the issues that went on there was there was it seemed like there was a lot of fear mongering about climate change, and yeah. but th- this has been going on for years, and I, I really can't remember kind of how far back it goes. Probably maybe started around the Al Gore era, you know. But this. You know, it's it's yeah. still it's still an important issue to these guys, but I I don't think this is this is really a winning issue in the general election. Yeah, I remember that. Speaking of, if I was sixteen, or whatever, I remember that being a thing when I was a kid. Seems like the same sort of talking points, like you said, back with Al Gore. And I like, you know, I want to be someone who's for good environmental stuff, of course. But yeah, I, I don't see how it's even close to the top of the forefront of things to really care about. So yeah, they keep making it want to be their, a big thing, and and they go a little crazy with it. Like some guys saying that it, we have ten years left, ten years left if we don't get off fossil fuels, like the the universe is going to end or something. Yeah, I mean that that's how you know they're just disingenuous, or, or I mean that's just a nice way of saying lying, um, because if that was the case, if they really believed that that the world was going to end in ten years if if we didn't change our ways well then there would be nothing else to talk about right there is no point in talking about the gender pay gap or minimum wage or racism or white privilege or you know illegal border crossings i mean all those things don't matter if the world is going to end in 10 years right yeah i i feel like every time i hear any of the democrat candidates d- disingenuous is like the only is like the thing i think of the most they all come off very disingenuous to me they'll come off especially elizabeth warren except i don't know about that one girl um i have no idea what she's talking about most of the time when she says stuff what's her name marianne yeah so you got this uh marianne williamson and from what i gather it seems like she wants to dis- she wants to start a new government program 
or a department, department of like love and positive vibes or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that's kind of what it sounded like to me. But did she say actually? Did she actually say anything? I don't know she if she said anything substantial. She definitely captured kind of the hearts of the people at the debate. I mean, she had like these crazy cheers going on when she was done talking, and I I don't know. It's just, you know, she was like the number one Googled person and um, did well in a Drudge poll. But the only only problem with her is that, you know, she's batshit crazy. And she seems really nice, but she doesn't really have a chance. And to me, it's just, it's like a really sad day for the Democratic Party when, you know, the one person that people kind of really love is certifiably nuts. Yeah, that says a lot about the candidates, maybe. Or, or the direction that the party has gone in. Yes, yeah, and which direction is that? Super crazy liberal? I don't know. I, I see. I you know. I think there are plenty of kind of reasonable uh, and normal democratic people out there. People that let me. What I mean by that is not really the not necessarily the party going crazy extreme, but all the candidates going crazy extreme. And I think they're they're doing this, and I'm not sure what they why why what their game plan is. But the candidates are going this way, except for someone like Joe Biden. But I don't think the mainstream of Democrats really are, except for a loud like, minority of the millennials. And that, I think that's why Bernie's Bernie, even though he doesn't even come across very well in these debates, to me anyway, he seemed kind of really boring. He's killing in the polls still, I believe, after these two debates. I think it's a, a small faction, uh, like you're saying, a minority group in the party or a group of activists that are just really vocal that have constantly kind of pushed towards the fringes of, of the left. And I, I think a lot of, you know, kind of people that, that I would call friends that are, are liberals kind of look at the party or look at some of the, the direction um, that some of these radicals are taking the party in and they're like kind of thinking, who are you? Yeah. I think they're all miscalculating, miscalculating it all. And uh, Bert, and someone like Biden is really the one who's getting all the, the mainstream votes. So some other issues they talked about, of course, they talked about racism and white privilege. And it's just one thing I wanted to say, and that was that, well, if all these people up on the debate stage think that they only succeeded in life due to their, their privilege— well, then they should all just step down, right? And then the, the battle would be between Kamala and Cory Booker, and they could fight it out. Well, that's the disingenuous part. I mean, I feel like they're all kind of full of crap on that stuff. Of course they are. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, obviously, anti-Trump stuff and how racist he is, but that's nothing new. Is you anybody know? actually, is anybody else getting tired of that, though, on their side at least? I don't know. I mean, that's all they do is Trump's. They had the moderator Don Lemon was was on the in the debate, like debating with them, sort of. I mean, he he was interjecting his own view and feelings on Trump inside the debate, prefacing questions with like, "Oh, the Trump, uh, you read that racist tweet Trump said about Baltimore, you know?" And and then what's his name C Cummings responded, "How do you feel?" So he's going in there and, and just kind of confirming just. 
nonchalantly, yeah, Trump's a racist. That was a racist tweet. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, it's it's sad. It, that's just most of the news channels or CNN, kind of all day, all night. That's all they talk about. Does anybody like wake up and on the left though and think it is kind of getting tiring? I mean, this stuff's not even racist. Like the Baltimore tweet that he was talking about, and he called racist on national TV as a supposedly neutral moderator. Wasn't it's not even close to being racist that tweet. Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, I mean, they they are obviously just making stuff up. If, if you know, he he says um, things like infested, and then the word infested has racist connotations, and it. He said he said rat infested. You know, I mean, because he was watching a thing on Fox about Baltimore and it showed a thing about rat infestation. So he got on Twitter, bashed Cummings and said a rat infested city. And then some dude on CNN is crying. And and he says when he says infestation, he's talking about black and brown people or black people. But he's talking about rats because he said rat infestation. Yeah. And, but Don Yemen's on there calling it a racist tweet. I mean, my God. I mean, how do you not just have common sense look at this and think it's just so ridiculous? So it's lying. It's, it's, you get tired of it. Yeah, it, it's, it is tiresome. It's, it's, part, it's part of an agenda uh, of, a, of trying to get rid of Trump. And it doesn't matter what he says. I mean, he could talk about, you know, butterflies and flowers, and then they would find some meaning someplace in that 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 would be racist so but but all it does is like it doesn't calling him racist for especially for things that are completely not racist it obviously doesn't have any effect on us or his supporters and if anything it just annoys us it it makes us we're getting kind of sick of it so now we're kind of like man you know now i really want trump to win again well, that, that's a risk, right? That's the risk they run, and, and that's the problem, or one of the big problems that Hillary had, right? She basically came out and called, like, half the country deplorables, and then she wondered why that she lost, right? I mean, other than yeah. the fact that she's a horrible person and was extremely unlikable and a witch and should probably die and go to hell, but besides that point, you know, those points, I mean, she, you can't come out and in a general election— call half the country, you know, deplorables and, and say that you hate them and expect them to turn around and vote for you over the other guy. Yeah, of course. I, but I feel like this, it's just kind of all happening again. I think that, I guess that was your point. Yeah, I think That's it's just what it seems like. It's, it's a risky um, tactic that they are going to alienate themselves in the general election. But right now they're trying to play up to their radical base, um, which I think is more radical than... Most liberals, I would say, I, th- I think this is just a little too much. And, you know, there's obviously plenty of liberals who don't like the president. But you know what? There's also a lot of conservatives who don't like the president and other people, too. It- it's like it- it's obviously a bad tactic to come out so hard on one side and alienate people that could potentially vote for you in the general election. Right. So yeah. y- y- they have to be careful how far to the left they go. Or how far off the rockers they go, because then eventually they got to come back towards some sort of center to capture, you know, some votes in the general. Do you find what what about policy wise that they talked about that you found maybe off the rockers? Well, something that kind of bothered me was a little annoying, was that when they people were bringing up 
uh, cost of programs and like how much is Medicare for all going to cost? And then, you know, asking and trying to delve deeper into costs of things that somehow that became a right wing talking point. And, you know, using those, you know, four words, right wing talking point, that, that it seems like that was the go to phrase for these candidates when they didn't want to answer a question, right? They would just say, that's a right wing talking point. Yeah, it was, yeah, I heard that a couple of times. It was like anytime someone was challenged uh, on something that was where someone brought up a factual point, like, yeah, j- trying to justify, you know, the financial costs of their plans, that was what they went with. It was, uh, well, that's a Republican talking point. I, I think they said it to a moderator maybe or, or someone gave it back to that guy Delaney. And, um, well, yeah, it is a Republican talking point. It's an it's just a talking point based in facts. It's it's a very good talking point to get you know for the American people to know the negatives of this crazy plan that you're you're talking about. But yeah, that was what a, it was a cop out answer. Yeah, and totally. it, it is coming up more. I don't know if people are buying that, but yeah, there was you know come to think of it, anytime they were challenged, they gave just complete cop out answers like that, or they don't answer. Yeah, I think some of that is kind of baked into the way the debates are held and they're given such short periods of time to kind of, you know, figure out or like answer, um, I guess, really important questions. Like, what are you going to do about poverty? What are you going to do about racism and all these other things? Or, I mean, you can't really get into details, right, at all uh, on some of these big tip topics in 30 seconds. It's just undoable. And so they try to use some sort of, I guess, standard talking point answer that's probably poll tested. Uh, and, you know, this is what their, this is what their answer is supposed to be uh, with any, with any uh, kind of thought behind it, just going by the wayside. Yeah. Did you hear um, Delaney's counter to, or not counter, but did you hear him challenge Bernie on that whole, on the whole um, Medicare for all and and how um, he he talked about he asked hospitals and talked to different hospitals on what they would do if they were reimbursed at the Medicare rate for everything, and they said they would close down. And he said, you know, Bernie's math is just wrong, and there's estimated like thirty trillion dollars in debt it would cost. Did you hear all that stuff? Yeah, I, I mean that, that's the thing with this whole Medicare for all plan. All right, so being being a doctor. And on the board of directors of my group, I know a lot of the problems that are going on in the background. And I obviously, I don't agree with a lot of the things um, that's going on in the medicine. I mean, the government's been interfering in medicine for years and years and screwing it up. Mm-hmm. And I know for a fact that groups and doctors are not taking any more Medicare patients if they can help it. And it's because they're reimbursed way too low. And so, you know, that was an interesting challenge to Bernie is that something that he doesn't know anything about but still wants to talk about like he does is that I don't think, and he doesn't realize this, that if everybody is on the government program, Medicare for All, that instead of everything being great, it's going to be horrible. Healthcare is going to be rationed. And, you know, those... Um, I guess those tribunals or the the group of bureaucrats that were going to, 
you know, decide under Obamacare. I remember this was talked about years ago that whether you could get certain types of treatments or not. I mean, that would become a real thing. And it might not be like a specific person that you would look at, but it might be some sort of formula. It might be something where it's like if you're a certain age and you come down with this type of cancer, well, then statistically you only have a 15 or 20% chance of surviving and the cost would be astronomical. So therefore, the, the Medicare for all, pram, for all plan is not going to pay for the treatment, right? That, that's, that's something that would probably really exist if the government had to try to cover everybody across the country. It just wouldn't be able to. And I think Bernie just and, and the people that believe in this just don't understand that. Well, that just sounded like a bunch of Republican talking points to me. Well, you're absolutely right. I, I, I called up Trump to get those answers, you know. <laughs> well, they, uh, some people always, or I guess people like Bernie, they'll reference Canada as a, as a place. Like, does Canada have, what is, what is Canada doing with their health care? Well, so th- their issues are, and, and, and I know kind of generalities. The generalities about the Canadian healthcare system is if you're a little sick or you, you break something, you break your arm and you got to go to the ER and get seen, those mm-hmm. are not a big deal. If you need an expensive treatment or a surgery, uh, sure, you can get that, but it might take six months or it might take, right. it might take six to nine months just to see the specialist who would perform the surgery six months later or something like that. So that's why you still have, you know, loads of uh, Canadians that come down into the U.S. to get their health care, and they pay for it with cash. And and that happens, I mean, that's been happening for years, and it's still going on. I mean, that's why they have Mm -hmm. um, kind of like this destination, you know, health care stuff in the Caribbean and Mexico and other, you know, places. People will go to some really nice place and get a surgery and then kind of sit around and recover for a while on, on an island. And because otherwise they have to sit around in Canada languishing for months and months before they could get that procedure. Yeah. That's the same exact thing I heard about Canada. It's just, yeah, it, you could take, like you said, months to get something that you need done right away. So it's definitely not a, there's a, a fantastic plan that they got going there. And uh, if you bring that kind of stuff up, though, of course, that's now going to be called a Republican talking point. The problem about that answer is soon it obviously is going to be a Republican talking point because it's going to be one of them versus Trump, and that's going to be his talking points. So you've got to answer them. Right, yeah. You know? it, it's, it's very – I find it very anti-intellectual to call something a talking point, and then all of a sudden the conversation is done. Well, that that yeah, I know that that's like that's babyish. That that's like something you would do in elementary school, right? I mean, it's like yeah, it's really it's like a yeah, exactly. It's like a little kid sort of argument. I mean, yeah, okay, you're and what everything you're saying is a talking point. And so here's my talking point. You know, it's just it's it's that's not a good way to answer it. Well, I guess since we're we're kind of on Bernie, let's go into that in a little bit. So I I, I don't know Bernie. And Warren, to me, they, they're kind of almost like the same person, um, even though Bernie is, I guess, like a white, you know, Jewish dude from Brooklyn or something, and Warren is an American Indian, of course. 
they're, they're mm-hmm. both exactly basically the same. They believe all the same shit. And both of them were kind of up on stage. Just they were like yelling at everybody and wagging their finger and pointing at everybody as if we're the problem. I mean, who the hell wants to be talked to that way? Yeah, I think, Tony, did you say that Bern? I think a while ago you thought Bernie was the biggest threat to, to Trump. I don't know. Am I correct? Yeah. So I still have I still have some thoughts on that. Well, my thoughts are that he is just going downhill because of what you just said. I mean, he's just it's just coming off way too grumpy, and it's just very unrelatable. No one's kind of. I don't think people are liking it as much. It's not. He's not very likable. He doesn't even get into debates because he just calls them Republican talking points or just kind of ignores something that's a good answer to him. And then you have now Elizabeth Warren, who's like Bernie 2.0 now. And I don't think she's genuine. I think she's just this is what she's chosen to do. And they're not even attacking each other. So they're kind of like together holding the, the you know, the champions of the, the super socialist kind of liberals or leftists. And there could be splitting some votes. I mean, and being so could be splitting some votes in that sector, also getting more unlikable because Bernie's just not likable right now. Meanwhile, Biden is just kind of cruising on through. So it's just looking like the easiest repeat victory for Trump. I think way easier than I initially thought. Anyway, I don't know. It's only two weeks, two debates in, but that's what I get the feeling. Well, I guess, I mean, more specifically on Bernie. For this debate, it looked like he did have more energy. He seemed kind of louder than normal, and he certainly kind of waved his finger around more than usual. I think he he came out on top of several kind of engagements he got into with other candidates. Well, some some of that too is just the crowd is obviously a Bernie crowd. Yeah, I mean he had like this, you know, he was more lackluster in the in the first debate, and now he had a little more spunk. I think he probably took some Viagra or something before this debate. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's still crazy and deluded, but he had more energy. So, I mean, the the overall, I think, perception uh, was that he did better in the second debate. Uh, I still don't think he has what it takes to go the distance, uh, even if he wins the primary. Uh, I think it's going to be hard to kind of walk himself back, I guess, for the general election, and, but at the same time, just you know, knowing that Bernie probably still has a good grassroots movement going for him, I just I don't know, is that grassroots movement going to survive the debates? You know, this the Democratic debates and and the primary season. I, that's a good question. And and it's just one more kind of a couple of points I wanted to get into on Bernie, and, and maybe this would uh, kind of re- reinforce your thoughts about Trump beating Bernie. Is that remember in 2016, when when Hillary worked with the DNC and people in the media to to rig the primary against Bernie Sanders, right? And I don't think Bernie ever did anything about it, right? I mean, he could have mm-hmm. sued the DNC, probably could have sued Hillary and the media stations, but he didn't do anything. And, and although he does have this, you know, support, this grassroots kind of people that really like him, I mean, does this actually does that sound like someone who could stand up? To Donald Trump, I mean, he kind of sounds like a pussy. And, and why didn't he go after, you know, Hillary and the DNC or the media? I mean, there, there's irrefutable evidence that the things were rigged against him, and he did nothing. And then here, here's another thing: is it, just think of all those people who donated millions of dollars to Bernie Sanders. 
and specifically mm-hmm. not to Hillary Clinton. And I don't think he returned any of that money. Where did that money go? Did it go to Hillary and the DNC? I'm sure it did. So not only, you know, there was this election rigging by Hillary and the DNC. I mean, it was, it was more than that. It was straight up theft. And so for Bernie not to make a huge deal over that, I think, is very weak. And, you know, why would anybody want to support him financially again? Because, you know, you give this guy money, somebody steals it from him, and then you don't, he doesn't go to bat for you. He doesn't go after, you know, the people that stole the money. So, Mm. you know, people have to take money out of their paychecks. Maybe they can't pay some bills just to donate money to him. And... You know, it just kind of seemed like he just let it go. Well, he I think he does own or did own three nice houses. So maybe some of that went to the mortgage payments. That's true. I guess if you do need to buy another house, the money you're getting from people and donations who can't pay their bills, I mean, that that's that's true. I, I mean, maybe I'd buy a vacation home as well. That's a good point. I mean, yeah, I think he had three, three nice ones. But I don't know. I guess um, I never thought about that being something that would uh, disappoint his fans for the next time around. But, and maybe it does. I just don't think he's he doesn't have it, I don't think, anymore. It's just he already lost once. He's just grumpy now. There's another player now who's in that radical wing. Or actually, yeah, there's many of them in there. So he's not the only one anymore. So I don't think, I think if he's – I think he's done. Well, not done yet, but I just don't – I don't see him going the distance and being the, a big competition for Trump. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have too much to say more about him. And and Elizabeth Warren, she kind of just looked okay. You know, she was the usual unlikable person she normally is. And Man, I really don't like her. She, she seems so fake. She seems just so, like, just the disingenuous word again. And and, and, and fake. And I, I didn't like her. She just pulled the racist card all over the place. And ra- it's Trump's, and, oh yeah, Trump's an evil bad guy in her mind. Like... It's not like, for instance, the the whole um, people coming over the border illegally and then being locked up and then having their children taken away. Her perception of that is Trump is an evil man and he wants to be ripping children away from their from their parents. That's what he wants to do. That's what he enjoys doing because he's an evil bad boogeyman. So we have to stop him from doing that. And the tool he's using is the laws, the laws in the books, the laws that say. They can. There, it's illegal to come over, you know, uh, the border, and not go through uh, the the point of entry process and stuff. So we have to get rid of that law and make it totally fine for people to come over whenever they want. Right. I mean, it's it's kind of stupid to say that you want to decriminalize border crossing, but then you're not. You don't believe in open borders. I mean, decriminalizing border crossing is de facto open borders. Yeah, that's what it is. I mean, that, that's the result. I just hated her reasoning for it. Her reasoning for that is because Trump's an evil guy and we have to stop him from using these laws so he can't rip children from their parents. Does anybody be- really believe that? Probably not. It, it, it might be a small, you know, radical fraction. It, it's, I mean, this is the same stuff that's being, that was going on for years under Obama. So... You know, they could easily, I mean, use the same points against Obama, but they, they won't. And, and that's how you know whether something is like, I guess, really racist or not, right? Because if Trump says it, all you have to do is kind of picture 
what would it sound like if Obama said it? And when Trump says something like infested and people are calling it racist, well, what if Obama said Baltimore was infested? People wouldn't even blink an eye, right? First of all, it, it was rat infested. That's what he said. He said he described it very clearly, rat infested, not black people infested. Right, but I was speaking to more of like a broader point of just like I know re- replace yeah you know, place replace what Trump is saying with yeah. you know imagine Obama saying the same thing and would you think people would be just as outraged? Oh, of course not. No, uh, yeah. And, and speaking of Obama, I'm pretty sure if he was running right now, he might have to run under the Republican Party. Yeah, or as an independent or something, right? Because right, I mean, he looks Ob- Obama's platform would not sail through the primary at the moment. I mean, he's the one who I think the, the these whole um, laws about having to separate the children from the parents when they're detained, which, you know, isn't a crazy radical law or anything. I, I think that was made under Obama. If it wasn't made under him, he was enforcing it as well. I've given, I think probably a couple of times, my thoughts on the whole, um, what to do with the borders and all that, but uh, on one or two other podcasts, and I, I don't think nothing's going to get fixed anytime soon. I don't think this wall is really going to fix anything if it ever gets built. I mean, it might. No, but the thing is, they didn't even talk about wall or border security they, or anything like that. They just kept going to the whole shaking children away from the parents because they were really trying to make that as like a as an evil Trump type of optic. I mean, that was their thing, which I don't even think works because. I don't think that many people think Trump is just an evil man and this is why he's doing that. Right. Well, I mean, they're, they're obviously trying to play on people's heartstrings there. I know, but the the whole thing makes, it's kind of makes common sense. Like if they're crossing illegally and they're caught and then they have to be detained for a certain amount of time and their, the decision was, okay, put them in a jail cell, but oh, don't put children in jail cells, so take them and put them somewhere else. It's a little nicer. I mean, that that's the idea. It's, now, it's not that, right? I mean, isn't that the idea? And it's not that nice, I know, but because they're over-flooded, they never expected to have this many people in there. I mean, that's the real issue. Right, but see, Joey, here's the thing. You're thinking logically, and, and most people, uh, the way they are, they— and certainly a lot of people on the left, they make you make decisions emotionally and then they justify them afterwards logically. So it, it's smart for the candidates to go down that emotional road. Yeah, that that's the road they're going down, which I think is just, it doesn't work, at least for us, because they're, they're being disingenuous again. They know the real truth behind it, but they're trying to make it into an evil Trumps taking kids and ripping them from their families. Yeah. That's what they were talking about the whole time, which I, it was ridiculous to me, especially Elizabeth Warren's. We got to make it. We got to decriminalize illegal immigration. Obviously, Bernie and Elizabeth are, will advance to the next debate. Um, that, that guy, Pete Butthead, I'm not sure. I mean, he was presentable and did okay, so he'll probably move on, but he's just not very exciting anymore. Uh, I think Beto O'Rourke is really boring and stale, and he looked pretty bad, so mm-hmm. I, I kind of think he's done. That Yang guy, I think he, he's the guy that wants to print money and give it out to everybody. Yeah, it's funny how everyone has, even in the one, so maybe someone like Yang, he doesn't race bait all the time, and he's not just calling Trump racist all the time, and he's not, he, I actually think Yang is not disingenuous. 
about this kind of stuff. But then he has to throw in some extreme radical ideas about like a basic universal income and all this stuff. But I mean, at least he's honest and, and he feels like there's problems in the economy that, and he has solution ideas. But man, he's crazy too. It's like everyone has something just really crazy in their back pocket. That's what, yeah, I don't know. That's what I'm. That's what I'm seeing anyway. I was thinking of sending Yang a uh, a book on economics so he could learn a little bit more about it. But I don't. I don't think he'd read it. He'd probably, you know, use it as like a paperweight or something. Let me see some of the other people. You got Kamala Harris. I, I what I heard uh, from Kamala is people liked her the first week, the first debate. I mean that she was in, she came across really well. But when she was under attack in the second one. She didn't answer any of the criticisms. And I don't know about you, but she also came off to me and, and my mom who was watching. She just came off kind of like mean and, and um, I don't know the word you want to use, but she came off kind of bitchy. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the most fun of the debate was when Tulsi Gabbard went after Kamala for being like a cop and a flip-flopper. And of course she is that. And I mean, obviously she, she's got a long bad track record as you know district attorney in california i i I mean she she was putting lots of blacks and minorities behind bars for nonviolent drug offenses and and now we're supposed to come out and believe that all of her talk about legalizing marijuana and that systemic racism is the fault of the police and white privilege i mean it's just it, it just it's just really again again disingenuous i can't really overemphasize that that term it just it just screams disingenuous when you think of Kamala Harris you know she was one of those you know quote unquote racists just a few years ago and she, I mean it doesn't seem like she has any real convictions right she on on healthcare here the I got a couple of notes on healthcare so she I think she co-sponsored some sort of bill with Bernie in 2017 a Medicare for all plan and that which would end private insurance as well, and then she walked that back. And then in the first Democratic debate, she said she would be in favor of it again, Medicare for all, and ending private insurance. And then she had to walk that back again afterwards. And then she just put out recently her own plan, which looks like it really eliminates private insurance like over a 10-year period. You know, Mm -hmm. so which is it, Kamala? I mean, you know, she's basically, to me, she's like a half-black Hillary Clinton. And the more I see of her, the, the more I see someone who just craves power and who is very, you know, duplicitous. And she doesn't, she doesn't stand for anything but herself, but I, I, th- I think she's a very dangerous person. Yeah, craving power is something I see from a lot of these guys, from Booker, from Harris, from Elizabeth Warren. I don't think I saw as much in the Republican side, when, but maybe that was the case too. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I think they all crave power. All politicians do. Yeah, I don't think Ben Carson was up there because he was craving much power. Hard to tell. Uh, he, I think he comes across as sincere. But, yeah, I don't think I don't think Harris did too well answering some of those criticisms because the things you brought up was what uh, that one girl brought up and attacked her on, and she just she had no answer to any of it. And then she just kept talking, and the moderators were, were saying, okay, it's enough time, and she talked right over them and didn't give a crap about what they were saying. She just didn't. She came off unlikable as well. Yeah, that, that's why I call her the uh, half-black Hillary Clinton. So, I mean, on Tulsi, I, I think Tulsi Gabbard 
really only did what she could have done, right? You can't really be a dude in the Democratic, I guess, in the Democratic eye and attack a woman on, on a debate stage like she did, right? Because you get a, you get accused of being a chauvinist pig or a misogynist if you go after a, a woman candidate. But as a woman, you know, Tulsi went hard at Kamala for flip-flopping on issues and really kind of tore her a new one. And it made her look pretty bad. And Kamala obviously didn't, like you said, didn't have much of a response. She was completely unprepared for that. And, and it really looked like she kind of got her butt kicked on national TV. And so, I th- you know, I think the obvious, you know, fallout from that is that Kamala takes a little bit of a hit in the polls probably. And, t- and Tulsi might gain a little bit. Again, I think Tulsi was pretty highly Googled. And I think people probably do want to hear more from her and learn more about her. I think that mm-hmm. the, the DNC and the Democratic Party, I think, kind of better wake up to Tulsi, you know, this anti-war candidate. Or, I mean, they kind of run the risk of kind of being even more out of touch with their base. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that the Democratic base really isn't, you know, the small group of radicals and activists who kind of show up on the news all the time and at these rallies and um, you know, in, in the, uh, the four-person squad kind of going after Trump, I, I think the small radical faction is trying to take over the party, but the base is, is much more reasonable and might be attracted to someone like Tulsi. And, and guess, who, uh, guess who had Tulsi back on his show? Who? Tucker Carlson. Oh, I missed it. Oh, yeah. So he, he had her on afterwards, and that cool. was probably really good for her numbers. Did she, did she come across likable? Yeah, I think out of I think out of all of them, she probably comes across to me at least the most likable. I mean, I still think she's, you know, wrong on 99% of her domestic, you know, policies and things that she believes, but at least on, you know, trying to end the the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, she's pretty adamant about that, pretty adamant about, you know, not being involved in Syria either. So, I'm happy with that. What what about uh, guys? Any any people that you liked from the debates? I like that Delaney guy, or I like when he was challenging Bernie, called and called his numbers wrong and explained some things. I guess I mean when they it, it's kind of entertaining when they attack each other, they go after mm-hmm. each other. I but it but it might be a bit of a stretch, I guess, for me to be like actually like them. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like I said, because they all had something that was crazy in their back pocket. That, that kept them from from me liking anybody you know if the, even when they attack someone like Bernie it was like oh nice that make yeah it's a good one and then they whipped out something that was insane and I'm like okay so what you what do you think of Cory Booker um I I can't stand Cory Booker so I, I usually just kind of tune him out so I don't even remember the stuff he was saying well I mean it's obvious because because you're a racist of course so um, well I mean so Cory he, he seemed like he wanted to stand up there and kind of lecture you, but, and he wasn't very charismatic about it. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, he comes across as very articulate, but he... Uh, he comes across very, to me, very scripted. Right, and, and he, he scripted, and he still wants to tell everybody else how wrong they are. I don't think he has a chance winning the Democratic primary, uh, probably for the same reasons you believe, it's just that like he's not that likable and it doesn't seem very genuine. He's trying to, here, here's the thing, I think he's trying to come across as if he's like the black guy from the ghetto 
but he actually grew up in a really rich neighborhood with well-to-do parents. And and he just every time sounds like someone trying out for like drama club to me. And, and it's all it sounds all scripted and it's all yeah, I, I always tune him out. He's very fake. Another disingenuous hugely disingenuous guy. I don't even remember the stuff he was like his policy stuff he was talking about in the in the debates. Yeah, and I think by scripted I think not that I want to put words in your mouth by scripted. It seems like he's very well coached, right? Like he's working with people, you know, to prepare for the debates, telling him this is what you have to say. This is how you have to say it. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like he has it all kind of very planned out. Like what sounds scripted is the opening monologue, obviously of everyone's uh, when they, when they introduce themselves, because that is scripted. But just everything that guy says whenever he gets a chance to to talk sounds like it's like another page in a monologue he wrote. Yeah, it's it would be hard to imagine that you could actually sit down and have a normal kind of heart-to-heart conversation with one of these people. That's what I mean. Like I can't imagine him speaking naturally off the, you know, just from straight from his brain, or like him or Elizabeth Warren. I, I think we gotta we gotta round this out with Joe Biden. And I mean, he was continuously attacked kind of throughout the night. And it, it's as it's almost as if they were basically attacking Obama. So it's kind mm-hmm. of interesting to see kind of how we talked about before that how even Barack Obama is now to the right of this new, you know, crazy left wing party. And that that's, that's one of the big miscalculations of it all. Like I was saying before, is they they they're kind of going towards being very radical liberal. A lot of these guys, and they think that's what's going to win, even though it I don't think it is. And then when they're doing this, and they know Biden is the top kind of competition for them, they are attacking Obama a lot of times because he's very much linked to Biden. And it's I think it's a major uh, flaw in their in their plan because. The everyone on the left, Democrats, even your friends who are Democrat, my friends who are Democrat, they love Obama. Obama is the is the godly Democrat guy. If he if he ran again, he would win. If Michelle Obama ran, she'd probably be the top candidate. So when they're seeing the mainstream, they're seeing these people that they don't quite probably honestly agree with on some of their radical policies, and they're hearing them trash Obama. You know, it's just not a good combination. And I think it only helps Biden. Because it makes these people go wake up a little bit and go, man, man, these people are a little too, too crazy, you know. Gotta, um, you know what I mean? I think it it helps Joe Biden. Right. Yeah. That's that's a good point because so I guess there's like maybe a debate strategy of going after the top dog, right? To right. you know knock him down a peg and bring yourself up a few uh, notches, but then at the same time they run the risk of you know going after and crucifying you know, the Obama God, right? Yeah, that's what's happening. It's like Survivor. You ever see Survivor? Sometimes you have to get together to vote out the best the best uh, player. That's true. That's a good point. And that's what they're, that's what I think what they're trying to do. So uh, one problem, I guess, uh, that if everybody tries to focus on Biden was that Kamala was, was kind of basically a top dog as well. So I think, you know, they're going to have to at some point focus on Kamala Harris as well, like Tulsi did. Um, I guess, but overall for me, Joe, you know, sleepy Uncle Joe, he, he seemed pretty slow and out of it. And I, I don't know, 
I don't think he has the mental capacity to go through a Democratic primary or a presidential campaign. No, I, th- I think I think he does have it to go through a primary. This is where I've been. This is where I'm saying that I think this is the easiest repeat victory for Trump. I think he has it enough to go through that, but he doesn't need to go through it as a, as looking looking like a champion. He just needs to survive these primaries and um, maintain his position at the top of the polls. And he got a lot of help from that girl that attacked Kamala and really like kind of you know um, threw water on her on her candle that was firing after the first debate. Yeah, and that's true. Um, maybe Joe is just trying to write it out. I mean, that might be an interesting strategy. He's just like, let all these people come after me, and then I'll hit back when I can. And it might even be smart for him to do kind of what he's doing uh, by riding the Obama coattails. He'd be like, well, that that's just, that was, yeah, as, as vice president, I was just operating under the direction of, you know, former President Obama. Because yeah. then it'll come across more like, oh, uh, I'm, I'm trying to attack Joe, but it's, it, now I'm attacking Obama. And that, that's not going to sit well at the base. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't know if, if Joe is mentally up to the challenge or I don't, I don't even know if his heart is in it. I mean, does it really seem like he really even wants to be up there on the stage? Well, I don't think I just think he's not good at it. That that this type of thing. That's what I think. It's just, he's just not good at it, and he probably is tired. He looks old and ancient. He probably is, uh, but I think he wants to win, and I think he just needs to write it out. And I think it's going to be now. I don't think he can handle going one on one with Trump. I think that'll be just game over. I mean, he's not that old. I'd probably have to check. He's like ninety six or ninety seven or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he looks like it. Well, I think I covered just about all the things I wanted to cover. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? No, I, I, like I said, it's really hard for me to even watch these things. So I, I have to pay attention to them anyway. Well, I, I would suggest for next time a, you know, large uh, glass of wine, and that'll probably help you get through the uh, next round of debates. Well, that will do it for today. Thank you all for listening to the Liberty on Fire podcast. Please do me two favors. Number one is to share the show. Remember that we want to continue to advance the message of individual liberty and sharing and growing the show is one of the best ways to do that. The second favor is to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. A five-star rating is much appreciated. Also, please check out our website, libertyonfire.org. Thank you very much. And until next time, let's keep those fires of liberty burning bright. (laughs) 